views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to Dynamics of Diversity Radio, scripting the new narrative for immigration with leading experts, Kripa Upadhyay and Steve Tanija. This hit show will feature thought leaders and visionaries discussing both challenges and opportunities associated with the dynamics of immigration and diversity in today's world. The show transcends the boundaries of conventional thinking about diversity, removing the borders of our minds while opening our hearts for a new perspective. Kripa and Steve will get rid of that noise that often accompanies discussions on the topic in the media. Whether helping families unite, refugees build new lives, and businesses attract and retain bright young minds, Kripa and Steve remind us of the integrity and insight we need to help keep America in the forefront of change and discovery through the power of its diverse people. Now, here is the Dynamics of Diversity Radio. Welcome to the Dynamics of Diversity Radio with Orbit Law PLLC. I'm Steve Tanijo, a partner at Orbit Law and also a co-host of this series. Good morning. I'm Kripa Upadhyay, partner at Orbit Law and co-host of the series. We're very glad to have you join us this morning. Also with us in the studio right now is Mason Donovan, principal at the Dagoba Group, an integrated global diversity and inclusion consulting practice that helps leaders take tangible steps to enhance inclusion and optimize teams. Mason has over a decade of experience consulting clients in the areas of talent acquisition, performance management, and leading inclusive teams, including working with over half of the Fortune 1000 companies on talent acquisition and management initiatives. He is co-author of The Inclusion Dividend, Why Investing in Diversity and Inclusion Pays Off, He has also written The Set for Inclusion, an underlying methodology for achieving your inclusion. And we're looking forward to a discussion about diversity and inclusion, what those terms mean. Um, If some of you don't know, those do actually mean two different things. I I think there might be a perception or a misperception rather that the diversity and inclusion are one and the same. And so we're very much looking forward to a discussion about what diversity and inclusion means, what that looks like in today's world, and what we as people in society, but also as workers out in the workforce can do to advance the the diversity and inclusion work that needs to be done. So welcome to the show. Welcome, Mason. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me, and thank you uh, for everyone tuning in to listen to what I, I consider to be a very critical topic in uh, in today's day and age. Uh, Mason, lots of research has been done on the topic of diversity and its benefits to corporations. Now, as an expert on the topic, do you believe that the diversity and inclusion policy and practice is essential to a company's survival in today's world? I do, and and actually, uh, if you if you allow me, I want to take a step back to what Kripa mentioned um, right in the intro about diversity and inclusion being separate. I think it's an important for us to probably put those definitions up front. Mm-hmm. Um, diversity, how we see it, very simply, is just a, a measure of difference. 
Um, and a lot of times when people hear diversity, they will think of one or two differences. They might think of gender. They might think of ethnicity. But it's really what's being measured. So different organizations and where you are in the world will measure different, um, will measure demographics differently or will focus on one or the other. Uh, and then inclusion is really the, the climate or the, uh, the feeling in which you feel welcome to dot, dot, dot. And, and filling in those dots would be, you know, bring your full self to work or, or really have your full voice heard. It's really that climate and the feeling of uh, really feeling welcome and being part of the team. So I, I just wanted to put that up front so we understand that as exactly what you said, people, it was very important that diversity and inclusion is, are two very different terms that very often are defined as just diversity. So to go back to your question, yes, it, you know, the short answer is definitely yes. It is essential to company survival in today's world. And, you know, of course, I'm biased because I'm, I'm focused on diversity and inclusion. But, you know, if we just look at yeah, a few snapshots out there, you know, even if you look at it locally, your demographics locally, they're changing. They're becoming more diverse, um, whether you're looking simply at generational differences that are going on, um, the needs and wants and desires we can all understand and, and look at a baby boomer generation and the millennial generation and understand there's different things that make them tick. Uh, and what they're looking for in work, what they're looking for in life, and, and what engages those those groups and the different generational groups. And we have four generational cohorts in the, in the workplace today, which is which is huge. That hasn't always been that way. Um, or even gender integration. Uh, I mean, we're seeing this play out in politics today, where um, women are becoming more and more integrated into not only the workforce but into our politics. And then we have all the cultural influences. So those are really simple um, the measures of diversity that we see there just at locally. Uh, and if, so if you're going to compete, if you're going to communicate in this global marketplace or even in your local marketplace, you need to understand those differences. If you don't understand those differences, if you don't create a policy and a practice in place that understands how diversity impacts your business, and how you can be inclusive in that, then you're going to fail on innovation. You're going to fail on on on, um, uh, on, on morale. You're going to on fail on um, productivity and retention and acquisition of talent. Um, because you know, competition is no longer just simple competition. It's hyper competition. Mm -hmm. Whether if, if, for example, if you're let's say you're a home-based clothing designer, you're not just competing with those that are in your town. You're literally competing with everyone globally. Um, the, the internet has allowed us, and technology has allowed us to really to be global providers, global competition. So you need to understand it from a competitive standpoint, but you also need to understand it from your customer standpoint. So, um, Mason, I wanted to talk to you about this because you talked about the generational um, differences in the workforce. And there was a study that was published recently, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on who did this, but um, there was a study published recently about the generational divide in a workforce, right? And they talked about mm -hmm. your baby boomers likely being more of the people that are in executive positions, but um, they were also likely the ones that were least technologically um, savvy, I guess, compared to your millennials that are, that are more technologically savvy, but also the ones that were more likely to leave um, the, the first chance they got because for them it's very much about 
perks and the minute they get a better perk package, they're more likely to move to the next employer. So as somebody that's, I guess, in the hiring field, as someone in the HR department, is that something you should be looking at in terms of building teams within your organization, right? Do you want ideally some sort of a balance between your baby boomers and your millenniums and so, so that they work together? How do you counterbalance for that? Yeah, it can be very complex um, as well. So it does take a, a lot of work. So yes, you, you want to find the, the right mix and the right balance that works for you internally um, as well as externally. And you were mentioning how somebody might leave because they can get a, another perk somewhere. That's a huge, um, really a huge uh, business case for why you should be investing in an inclusive workplace. Mm-hmm. Because only one company could be the highest paying company in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. That means everybody else has to compete on something else. And you don't want to be the company that's competing on on comp- um, compensation. You really want to be the one that, that keeps people because they feel like they're part of the team. They really feel like their voice is heard. Uh, and they feel um, really, really more part of part of the, the, the family. That's what you want to focus on is really to have that inclusive workplace. Now, let's take a, um, a company, for example, like Facebook. Now, if Facebook only focused on the younger audience, they wouldn't have grown. If they only were looking at that young audience, which was their initial audience that came on board, they wouldn't be at the where they are now. But every time I look at it, they're another 100 million more, but they're, they're way over a billion users by now. Um, they, they wouldn't get, get there because what we have found is that the, although the younger generation was the, the, the leaders in, in going in and becoming users of Facebook, but what really ended up becoming their, their growth area, the growth area were the, the, the Gen X, the, the baby boomers that started going and, and, uh, and using Facebook and really connecting online uh, with that, that, the social media. So as an HR person, you want to look at a number of different factors. But, you know, if we just put D&I in, in HR, that HR is typically looking at talent acquisition, talent management, but we need to also put it into marketing. We need to also put it into sales. Um, we need to look at the, the long-range plan. It's like, how does inclusion impact every piece of our business? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you're, you're selling or, or selling to, to uh, consumers or you're selling to, to businesses, uh, your B2B or B2C, it makes a big difference uh, on how you play, and, and also innovation. Companies are innovating so quickly these days, and it's very difficult to innovate if you don't have a diverse group of people there. Because if you have everybody that thinks the same, well, you know, the the opposite of innovation is status quo, mm-hmm. and status quo typically will 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 reign in an area which does not have a lot of diversity. Now, in your book, the inclusion <clears throat> dividend. You wrote mm-hmm. that uh, the perspective of the book is U.S.-centric because the U.S. is in some way a leader in advancing the DNI conversation in organizations. Do you still believe that's true given the increasing lack of diversity we see in the technology industry in the U.S.? You know, I do. And the, the, what the emphasis really was was that the U.S. is advancing the conversation. So there's a difference between the conversation and the, the actual end result. 
Um, and I believe we are leaders in the conversation around that because, you know, we're a melting pot. We've been a melting pot for, for a couple hundred years now. So diversity has always been constantly at the forefront of our discourse. So, so yes, we're, we, we've been struggling with this conversation um, for a very long time now. So I do believe we're leaders to that. But when it comes to actual achievement of an inclusive workplace, well, that's going to vary. That's going to vary geography to geography, industry to industry, even vary within the company depending on the leadership development. You might find if a company does not have a, a consistent, we do a lot of leadership development for, um, uh, for large uh, global um, corporations, and if we find that they've only focused on one area, so one division got that development, then yes, the inclusion will, will and the diverse inclusion will differ greatly from one piece of the company to the other. Now, when it comes to technology industry, this is a, a, a industry that, you know, for where I stand, um, if you, you're, and when I think of technology, um, forgive me of my kind of narrow viewpoint, I, when I think of technology, I, I think of Silicon Valley uh, and what's coming out of, of Silicon Valley, and, and obviously it's 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 all over. But that's uh, usually what most people associate with the, with the technology industry. That you know, when I when I look at that, I really see a mix of the um, sort of what I call a I'm well intended, thus I cannot be biased phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's there where people are allowing their good intent to say that they can't have um, any biases and their inability to move beyond awareness. So often we find a technology, and I've heard this recently from them, that they will focus, um, they have great intent, and it's very often we will bump into some, very very rare, sorry, that we'll bump into somebody that does not have great intent. And they do a lot of investment in diverse inclusion. But what's getting in the way is, is they're doing all this investment to get them up to um, become aware of the problem, and but then stopping there. Believing if they become aware that's the problem and they have good intent, that's enough. Well, mm-hmm. they found out it isn't enough. Um, and what they really need to do is they really need to move from what we work a lot with is moving awareness to action. And sometimes they can't get out of their own way, and not just technology industry, but many others. So if you look at technology industry when they're looking at a employing a diversity inclusion consulting partner, they will go out and they will specifically say, hey, we only want DNI firms that are steeped in the technology industry. So basically what they're saying is we only want to learn about diversity from people who are just like us. Um, and, and they find themselves going into this gerbil wheel, right, of they make the investment, they go through it, and then you'll hear, and, and you hear it every year now from a lot of these companies, mm-hmm. well, we haven't moved anywhere. Right. Well, you haven't moved anywhere because you keep applying the – you know, trying to get solutions out of the other people who've been part of the same problem or the same industry, and and that's you know, sort of a a, a little bit ironic about that, that that piece of trying to solve your diversity without being diverse. So go outside your bounds. I've seen this happen with, um, with insurance companies when they were having a really hard time of hiring um, insurance sales agents, and when I would work with them, I said, well, "Where are you looking?" They were only looking. They were stealing each other insurance agents from other insurance companies. I said, well, this could be a reason why you're all fishing in the same pool. What do you really need? They said, well, we need people that are trustworthy, um, that people would automatically trust them, and, the, and they have a good social standing in the community. So what about the police, retired police officers? What about teachers? What about people who, who work for the fire department? 
And they started looking at them and, and thinking, well, they kind of fit that. And then when they did a pilot test of talent acquisition for those, those individuals, they ended up being like 150% of their goal. So sometimes it just takes stepping out of your box just a little bit to make that huge difference. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We've got lots more to come here. You're listening to Dynamics of Diversity Radio. What a great show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Brand consultant Jen Morgan is here with Radically Distinct Radio to help you take control of your future and maximize your brand's power to produce results. Whether you're an individual trying to reinvent yourself and launch a new venture, or you're an executive trying to reposition your company to modernize your sales and marketing programs, Jen Morgan and the RAD Method empower you to play to your strengths and show up in the world as your most powerful brand. To learn more, go to jenmorgan.com, that's Jen with two N's, morgan.com, or call 206 Tune in to the Angels and Answers Psychic Radio Show with Clairvoyance Artie Hoffman and Sky Siegel every Thursday for a two-hour show, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Transformation Talk Radio. Artie and Sky deliver spiritual and motivational messages with passion and a sense of humor. Call in 800-930-2819 for live and on-air readings. Visit ArtieHoffman.com and SkyOfAngels.com. How would you like increased health and vitality? How would you like to avoid the onset of disease as well as slow the aging process? This is all possible through a simple, safe, and natural process. Every day we are either moving toward wellness or away from wellness. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. I'd like to be your partner in achieving optimal health. Contact me now at MaryJaneMack.com or call 425-392-0659. Visit MaryJaneMack.com. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. Beyond being this amazing neurologist, inventor, author, Dr. Dan Cohen has been called to look at technology and look at personal and spiritual development and merge these together as technology uses the healing and psycho-spiritual effects of synchronized sounds, vibrations, electromagnetic fields, and how that interacts with us in our nervous system in what we're calling the Soltech chair. The Soltech Lounge induces profound levels of relaxation that transition over time into deep meditative states. The synchronized sound vibration and magnetic field induce these states. The subject doesn't have to work at it. To learn more, go to soltechwellbeing.com. That's S-O-L-T-E-C, well-being. Show. 
Welcome back, everyone. We're going to continue uh, with the with the show and going. I guess um, just continuing on from from where we left off in in the DNI conversation. We wanted to ask Mason, based on the work that you've done, who do you think? I mean, a, a country that you can think of where you think they are perhaps in the leadership or at the forefront in terms of actually walking the walk, as it were, in terms of the DNI conversation? You know, it's interesting. I would say, and right at the top of my mind, I would say Canada. Um, I think Canada has done a fantastic job with with diversity and and integrating diversity into Mm -hmm. their culture. Does that mean... Um, that they uh, have met that destination, I would I would yeah. say no, but yeah. um, they've done a, an excellent job. Um, I know there's other countries that that are are well on the way of, the, of that as well. I know that we do quite a bit of work in in the UK, um, India's been doing quite a bit of work as well, and it's when you look at it, you, you always look at okay, what was their baseline and where do they move to? And I would say. Um, if you're looking at the the most amount of advancement in a short period of time, I'd say India would mm-hmm. probably um, be the the winner in that. But overall, I say Canada outside the U.S. Canada definitely has has done quite a bit. And it's interesting that you say Canada because there was actually um, an article, and I think it's actually gotten quite a lot of press recently. The Economist just did an article about how liberty has moved north. Um, and it examines Canada in terms of being, you know, a leader, as it were, in terms of their immigration policy, their acceptance of refugees, their integration policies that they have. And they examined this in, in terms of how Canada works um, in terms of their federal system, which really gives a lot of, of um, decision making authority to the provinces and the provinces get to decide what suits them as opposed to, you know, the system that the U.S. has where it effectively comes down from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really a really interesting article um, in The Economist, which is, I believe, this month's publication, actually. Um, but the, the, I think along with that, the question that I had for you is, and, and this really piggybacks on the question that we, or the discussion we were having around the technology companies, is... You know, we talked about diversity in the technology companies and, and you, you, you mentioned that they're investing quite a bit of money in terms of making sure that they have some sort of a diversity and inclusion policy. But what do you think are the steps that companies need to take in order to make sure that, you know, once they have their diversity um, preferences, if you will, once they have that set, that they are also then being inclusive of those diverse of the diverse workforce, right? Because I think when earlier in the summer, I think it was when Amazon and Microsoft and a couple of tech companies all came out with their diversity numbers. Um, it was interesting that all of them came out with the diversity numbers in the same week, mm-hmm. and they were all within, I think, two percentage points of each other. Um, and they all seemed to be pointing at the other ones, saying, "Well, we're not that bad off because we're all on, on the same line." Um, but that showed that they have, you know, this talent pool of people that are the tech workers, but the executives don't reflect the workers, right? So, so there's this gap between the diversity and the inclusion component. So what can companies do or what should companies do? What are the best practices, if you will, 
to make sure that there is the inclusion component as well? Sure. And it's, a, it's an excellent question because it's a, it's a question that doesn't get asked often enough in organizations because um, what they'll typically do is when the organization has realized that they have um, diversity challenges, they'll realize that, like you said, they'll, they'll start to do analysis, and, and data is wonderful today. We have so much data that we, we have not had in the past um, industry-wide as well as companies have tools that they can really kind of uh, bring up the demographics of their organization and, and many different slices that they can look at. But when they have realized that there is an issue, um, a challenge with their diversity, the first thing that comes to their mind is to focus on diversity. Now, you think, okay, that makes sense. So, so what they typically go to then is, I'm going to have, and they focus on their talent acquisition. So they charge their managers, they charge their, their, their recruitment department, go out and find us a diverse group of individuals, which basically means find us somebody that doesn't look like everybody else mm-hmm. that's here um, and, or doesn't have the same background as everybody here. And they'll typically find a few metrics that they want to move. Typically, um, gender is in that, in that metric. Um, and what they'll do is they'll go and they'll do a fantastic job. They'll, they'll do branding. They'll change their employer brand. They'll maybe change some of their, their, their job positions. They'll really have a huge push to go out there and bring in a diverse group of individuals. But what they didn't do is that they did not train their leaders first to be inclusive. They did not train them how to work across differences. And that doesn't come naturally. That's not an innate sense. For, for skills um, for most of us. And so you have this big group of individuals, diverse group pipeline of individuals coming into the organization thinking, wow, this is great. This is going to be because all the, I, all, everything I've seen about branding is that they're, they really value diversity and inclusion. And then they hit that inclusion wall mm-hmm. because what that wall is is managers that have not been trained, the leaders that have not been trained to work across differences and then what typically happens, and we see this so often, is their attrition rate of, of that diverse group is much higher than the attrition rate of the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're hitting that wall. So what companies should do is when they find they have a diversity challenge, don't focus on diversity first. Focus on inclusion first. Say, okay, what can we do here first to develop leaders so they can be more inclusive? What can we do so they understand? So when we bring in a more diverse group, they can work across differences. They have really started to uncover, you know, some of their biases that they might be, you know, unconsciously harboring. What might be getting in the way of their of their good intent and the and the great impact that they're looking to have? Focus on that first. Focus on inclusion. Then focus on the talent acquisition. Because if you do it the other way around, you're really putting the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. And it actually gives you a, a worse reputation, uh, reputation uh, a worse name in the industry when you bring in all these diverse groups of individuals and they find out this is just not an inclusive workplace. And then they leave, and they leave really quickly. And then very quickly your organization has a, has a you know, reputation of not being inclusive regardless of how much money investment you put out there to acquire a diverse group of individuals. Now, recently in 2015, there were three huge research studies, the McKinsey, Catalyst, and Deloitte Australia. Now, in your experience working with these companies, you know, have they been receptive to these studies? 
what are your biggest challenges you know have you faced in working with executives when starting you know this type of conversation with them mm-hmm. so yeah and like I was just saying before those the uh, studies the data that we're getting is amazing lean in did a a great um, release of last year I believe it was in the Wall Street either Wall Street Journal or the New York Times um, and then McKinsey's research catalysts research all the big four consulting firms do a lot of research uh, in this area as, as well. The um, Deloitte, the um, Ernst and Youngs, the KPMGs uh, of the world, um, PWCs. So the data is great, and it's great to have there. But what we have found is that if you leave with lead with the data, if you go and you say, "Hey, here's all the data. This is why you should listen to us." What people, especially you know, people who are analysts or are work or in the workplace, and they're used to looking at data, especially in today's um, really age of where we get a lot of data, and our job is to really kind of find holes in that data. What you typically do is, if you lead with data, that people will then try to find and poke holes in that. So, if you if you look at on the data that came out, there was a study that came out that said. Um, Women-owned or managed hedge funds far outperform hedge funds in general. Well, somebody might go in there and say, "Well, yeah, that's because it's a really very, very small sample that are women in hedge funds." And so, if you do a very small sample, anything it could be skewed. Well, of course there is because the women are just getting into that field and just being, you know, being allowed to really participate in that field. So, data is important, but the closer that you get it to home, the better. So one of the things we do with organizations and really working with leaders and is trying to raise their awareness of where their challenges are at their home. And their home being, you know, in their organization, in their division, in their department, with their team. So the closer you can get it to the leader where he or she is, the the more they're going to listen to it. So, um, but the, the the big data is great because it starts to allows you to start to understand it and that there's. There is an industry trend and allows you to peg yourself towards those those industry trends. But the big challenges that you have working with, at least we find working with executives, and we, we work with tens of thousands of executives globally every year, is the intent and impact. So the intent is that uh, when often when we think of diversity inclusion, people think, oh, it's all about somebody's intent. And it's not, it's very rare, as I said before, that we, we bump into somebody that has a bad intent. Nobody wakes up and says, you know, how exclusive can I be today as possible? It's not good for them, it's not good for teams, it's not good for the organization. So they have good intent, but there's something getting in the way between that good intent and the great impact. That could be unconscious bias, could be inside or outside of dynamics, um, it could be inclusive leadership. Um, so it's really finding out, accepting their good intent, and then putting that aside and saying, hey, we're not questioning that today. We're questioning is, what can we do to get the impact? And all of us have been in a situation, um, either in our home life or in work life, where some, a crisis happened, somebody had the best of intent to manage that crisis, um, but they didn't manage it well, and they had a really bad impact. Um, and when somebody goes, well, what happened here? What, it was just a small thing. They said, well, I intended to do X. Um, but the result was why, right? Um, so we focus on impact. So the challenge is get over the intent, realize that, assume they have good intent, and focus on, okay, 
what can we do? What can we move out of the way? What are some of the barriers we move out of the way to make that good intent equal great impact? Now, um, Mason, in your in the inclusion dividend, you spend quite a bit of time um, talking about unconscious bias, and I was wondering if you could just give us maybe just a little bit, uh, spend a little bit of time in helping us understand what that means, sure. and in terms of the work that you've done, how you've seen that play out um, in different situations. Sure, and, and you know, unconscious bias has become a a very popular term mm-hmm. these days in, in training. You'll see it in anything that has diversity inclusion. It's, you probably will see unconscious bias popping up in, in part of that conversation. So it basically is all of our, um, our experiences, all of our, everything, our background, everything that's made us who we are um, and all our ex- exposure, that gets stored into the, the, the back of our brain. Um, and when we make decisions, we unconsciously pull from that that area. So it, it's the it's the feeling center. So when you have a gut feeling from about something, it typically is what we would call that unconscious bias. Now realize that unconscious bias bias itself is is not good or bad. It's just bias. For example. You might have a bias, I think it was mentioned earlier in this call, um, that some people might look at an older population and think they're not good with, with um, technology. That is just your bias that you, when you see an older person that, that he or she is not good with technology. You see a younger person, so that's a negative bias. You see a younger person, you think all of a sudden, you think, hey, can you come over here and fix my computer? You just assume they're good with technology. So that's, you're giving them a positive bias. So a bias is, is really a... Um, unearned characteristic that you're placing on somebody. Um, so often if you have a, a tall male walk into the room, very often will people will automatically uh, put upon and give them the characteristic that that person is the leader in this room because of what they've always associated leaders to be. Now, here's a, it's a nice little stat for you. If you look at the um, Fortune 500 CEOs, well, uh, almost 60% of the Fortune 560 uh, CEOs, uh, males, are six feet or taller. But if you look at the U.S. population, it's around 15% of our U.S. male population are actually six feet or taller. So if you just look at it alone, you have four times as much chance walking the door if you're six feet or taller. And if you're walking the door to interview to be a CEO, just based on your height alone. Um, so unconscious bias are all of those decision factors, all those influences that are really taking control of decision or at least influencing decision, and they're natural and they're human and everybody has them. It's part of being part of being human. Part of being a leader is understanding, okay, now what are those biases that are impacting or involving people and in getting away of some good decisions? How can I become aware of those and how can I what are some actions I can do to mitigate those? So really finding that. So you know, that unconscious bias, is a, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of studies, a lot of academic, and you can get very academic and spend a, a whole conference on the academic portion of it. But that's really in, the, in a nutshell. Okay. Um, so I think we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with some more questions. Hi. 
Hi, this is Leslie Fontaine. It's always surprising where we feel like a victim. We hate that word, but it's a chance to shift that energy where we want something out there to fix us. We are coming from within with the shift. When we find these spots, we get alarmed, but we can allow source, our higher self, and our will to change that intention into empowerment. Choose today to allow that. Choose to forgive yourself and choose to be totally responsible. Are you ready to shift into your best life? Visit lesliefontaine.com and let's talk about unfolding all that you want to be, do, and have. You'll find sessions, classes, and audio products to help remove the blocks and move you into your potential. And listen to my show, Share Alchemy, on Transformation Talk Radio, Wednesdays at 10 Pacific, 1 Eastern. Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called to do something that we so not thought was in our wheelhouse to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at thedrpatshow.com. Dr. Brie Gibbs is a fourth-generation high priestess with the knowledge to raise your vibration in conscious creation. Offering a wide variety of services from goddess light and shamanic healing seminars to private reading sessions, Brie works with you so you too can stand in your own power. Isn't it about time you took your life into your own hands? For more information about Brie's services and products, visit silvergaia.net. That's silver, G-A-I-A dot net. Sky Siegel co-hosts one of today's most popular psychic shows, Angels and Answers, with Artie Hoffman as she communicates healing messages from the spirit world. These messages can be astounding, enlightening, and life-changing. Born with the God-given talent of inner guidance and the amazing ability to heal, Sky has healed thousands of people. Schedule a reading with Sky now. Call 908-500-1474 and visit skyofangels.com. Get into it for 2016. Do you want more prosperity, clarity, energy, and balance in your life? Join Lynn Brown now for one of her amazing workshops, each focusing on a key part of living your best life. For more information and to register for one of these amazing workshops, visit lynnbrownevent.com. That's lynnbrownevent.com. And get into it this 2016 with Lynn Brown. Welcome back to Dynamics of Diversity Radio. This is Steve Tanijo, and I'm with Mason Donovan. Uh, before we uh, left the, on the break, we were talking about biasness, unconscious biasness. How how do you create a nurturing space outside of people's culture, cultural, social, and religious bias biases? And what have been the three biggest challenges that a diverse workforce presents in your experience? 
It's a good question. It, it could be a, a difficult um, puzzle for some companies um, because they sometimes you can believe and you can falsely believe by just having a diverse workforce. That's it, right? So that's that's your that's your key to success. I'll get a diverse workforce. I'll get them in here, and then we'll start to start to win. Our innovation will go up. Our activity will go up. But the the interesting fact here is that a diverse workforce is far more difficult to manage than a homogeneous team. Mm-hmm. And the reason it is is because you know you have to. It, we're, as I said earlier, people are, are not born with their ability to work across differences. And typically, many of us are, are really brought up in a cocoon of likeness. We, we live with people. Obviously, our family is like us. We typically go to school with people like us. We, we go to the movies or listen to stations that, that, that talk like us or, or look like us. Um, and we, so we surround ourselves with likeness. So it's really difficult then to manage across difference. So having that diverse team in and of itself doesn't automatically create a, a winning culture. There are three big challenges when you're, when you're looking at creating that inclusive culture. The first one we, we mentioned was self-awareness. So really understanding where you are, understanding why is, why is diversity inclusion important to you. Develop your own personal business case. Don't rely just on your organization. So the organizations will have these very large and sometimes lofty business cases for diversity and inclusion and why they're investing in it. But find out why, what difference does it make to you? How does having an inclusive, whether you're a, you're a manager or a leader or you're an um, individual contributor, why does it make a difference to you? How does an inclusive you know, team dynamics, a diverse group, um, impact you and become what is getting in the way? So that's the self-awareness. The next step is really systemic awareness. What are some of the rules and the policies and the procedures that are also creating barriers to inclusion. Because people come and go, but systems stay in place. And sometimes you will find that companies will constantly just develop their, their leaders and do leadership development and, and, and development of the whole, of the whole uh, population of the organization, but they don't change the systems. And that systems are typically skewed towards, let's say, for recruitment. They're recruiting just from certain colleges. Um, or when they're looking at the, the process of evaluating people. There, you know, the words that are, the way it's set up, or words that are used to evaluate one person over, over another, or the mentoring program, they can be systemic barriers. So really the next step is that, become aware of the systemic awareness. And then the last challenge, and this is where companies, and what, you know, as the, uh, the Dagoba Group, what we focus most with companies with is moving from awareness to action. Okay, you've got awareness. That's necessary, but it is not, um, it's not sufficient. You have to move to action. You have to find a way of taking that awareness. It's like knowing that you have a, some, you go into the mechanic and they say, hey, you have your, there's a, a problem with your muffler. And they tell you everything is wrong. Okay, you've become aware, but unless you change your muffler, nothing's going to happen. You're still going to have the same problem. So taking that awareness and moving into action. So finding ways in which leaders, and, and we work very explicitly with managers and leaders of what are practical things that you can do every day. It might be as simple as, you know, I'm going to start a ten, pending employee resource group if we have one. Or, you know, next time I go to a luncheon, I'm going to sit down next to uh, individuals that I just don't know. I'm going to find a way to expose myself to difference. Or when I'm managing people, I want to go out and find out first, 
am I sharing my time um, equitably um, with everyone? Or, you know, if I'm not, how can I do that so I'm sharing my time equally with, with everyone on there? So self-awareness, systemic awareness, and then the very important one, moving from awareness to action, those are really the three challenges that um, in order to create an inclusive workplace. And Mason, when you say moving from, you know, you just said that the Dagoba Group helps companies move from awareness to action. So um, if you can, and I, and I understand this might be difficult, but have you seen a timeline that, that seems to be on average um, across companies in terms of how long are they willing to commit in terms of a process for how long it would take for them to get from you know, we've, we've done the study, now we need to get to an actionable timeline. Is there a timeline that most companies seem to be willing to commit to? Yeah, Kripa, it's a good question because it's um, very often when they're, they have these um, really un, unrealized expectations. Um, so they think, oh, you know, we're, and we'll see that when with um, they go back to Silicon Valley, every year they produce their the diversity results, and they say, wow, it still hasn't changed or it's moved very little. Well, an org- I remember meeting an organization, um, and um, they're out of the U.K., and they said, you know, we want to meet the Lord Davies' commitment of, of having uh, 30% or more of our executives being, um, being female or um, the mix, because it was a, obviously a very heavily male percentage in, in the executives. And I said, and we want to do that in the next two years. I said, great. So are 30% of your executives going to leave their position in the next two years? Because if they're not, you can't fill in those with 30%. So we started doing the numbers. And what we found is that they would have to hire and promote only women for the next seven years, only women for the next seven years to meet those numbers. So first, you have to get a realistic number and realize there's going to be a long-term goal, Mm -hmm. that moving the executives, executives typically stay for a long time. Um, so either you open up new positions as the company grows, or you have a transition. You know, as people go out, you're, you're making sure that when when somebody leaves, that you having a more diverse group come in behind that individual. But you also need short-term goals. You need to find those wins, and and companies that also look at trending and look at short-term as well as the long-term goals. Those are the ones that stick to the, the game. It's just like if you diet. And if you die and you're only waiting, your, your whole goal is to lose 50 pounds. And after a week, you're like, I haven't lost 50 pounds yet. Six months now, I haven't lost 50 pounds yet. And you, it's a good chance if that's the only goal you're looking at, you're probably going to give up. But if you realize, hey, I just want to, my first goal is to, I'm going to start walking a half an hour a day for the next next week. Wow, I did that. that that's the tick off. Next one is to lose a pound by the end of the month. The next one, and we know by in two years, if I lose so many pounds, Per month as I move up, I'll hit that goal. So companies that have the short-term, the long-term goal, look at trending and really understand what's the strategy behind it. And it's a realistic strategy that, they, that it might be challenging, but you can actually meet it. Those are the ones that succeed. So would you say these unrealistic expectations are the main obstacles for companies not being able to complete the, the action um, or or just having problems with or a failure of uh, of doing the action of, of becoming uh, inclusive? I 
think it's a a, a main leader into giving up on the uh, the diverse inclusion investment because if they have such lofty goals that um, really don't have a strategy to meet them, and when it comes next time to fund, so at the end of the year when you need to fund that that area again, you're like, you know, we haven't met this yet. Um, they're more likely to divest or reduce that goal. So, you know, that's, that is probably a, a leading um, reason why they might to start to divest in the diversity and inclusion efforts. But if they look at the, you know, the, those short-term, those, those small wins, those, and when they make it systemically, um, so there's communications going, for example, we work with a company that I say, you know what, every time you have a win in your company, you do this great story on on um, that person, and you have, usually have one PR person that has ten questions that he or she always asks that person that why they won. Let's put a systemic piece in it. Let's just ask: Can we ask one more question? And that last question is: Did diversity and inclusion have any impact on this win? So, and she, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, sure, I can add that in." And then what you're doing now is now systemically you're having these stories that it would normally just go anyhow. They're now starting to produce you know, stories around diversity inclusion and how that impact. The more that we hear that, the more that we come in that, you know, it's part of success, it's part of that win, the more a company is, is likely going to invest more and really understand where it's having an impact in the organization. But you really have to have those realistic and realistic goals that you also have a strong strategy to go behind it. Um, Mason, I wanted to go back a bit because we talked a little earlier about unconscious bias and the first half of the show, you know, we talked a bit about um, the state of politics um, today and and clearly heading into elections tomorrow. Um, We've heard a lot of comments about women and immigrants and people of color and keeping in mind what you said about unconscious bias, do you think there is a risk that these comments having come as they have from the national stage, that there is a risk that that might affect the business realm in terms of hiring and the diversity component that companies are, you know, looking to to get into. I mean, obviously, they're, they're, they're looking to have a more diverse workforce, but are comments about women and immigrants and people of color going to do more harm than good, given the unconscious biases that may come into play after eight months of this rhetoric having been replayed time and time again? Has it been eight months? It feels like it's been eight years. And if I could say anything up front, please, if you're listening and you, and you have any questions about voting, vote tomorrow, regardless who you support. The only way our system works. Um, so does it make a difference what's going out there? And, and all of the, these comments and this conversation, yes, it does. Um, on organizations that have, you know, organizationally, the, you know, corporations sometimes are ahead of the civil discourse. They have a lot of times there was a lot of organizations ahead of the LGBT rights and benefits. They were providing those within the policies of organizations before they were ever granted through through legislation. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times in which they, they fall behind. The legislation needs to push them ahead. But the, you know, I don't think it will affect the organization to understand that diversity inclusion is vital to their success. I don't think this rhetoric will affect them 
at the systemic level, where it does in, um, impact people, is that it will impact their our individual biases. Mm-hmm. So if we start looking and, and, and seeing that, you know, immigrants, if we hear the story over and over again, whether we believe it or not, it'll start to, and this is how biases form, right, is when we, our experiences and what we hear, whether we agree with them or not, they start to settle into our unconscious. And when we see a resume for us, and we're going through 100 resumes in five minutes because we really need to find, you know, the best fit, well, you know, if we have this unconscious bias against, um, and not even something we, we consciously believe in, but we've heard it so many times about Muslims not being a, a good fit within the American culture. If we think, if that falls back there, because there's so much discourse back there, whether we believe it or not, that might play out in our decision very quickly without us even knowing it, mm-hmm. uh, tossing that, that, that resume aside. Mm-hmm. And we'll give it other reasons. You know, and there's studies after studies that, that show that. Even companies, there was a, a great MIT study on resumes. It was replicated in Canada and, every, and a lot of other countries. When they give them resumes and, and, and uh, the MIT study, they, they sent out thousands of resumes and the exact same resumes to to companies or jobs, only thing they changed was the name. One was a black-sounding name, one was a white-sounding name. Um, and they found those with the white-sounding names got a 50% higher callback. Even for companies that were spending a lot of money investing in, in diversity recruitment, there was nothing else different on the resume. Not even the font was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, you know, as I said, replicated again in Canada, replicated again in, in the U.K. in another, a, a number of the studies. So it does have an impact psychologically, has an impact. It's good that we have the conversation out there. And, and it's very interesting in the political discourse how it makes an impact in the voting in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, and, uh, not to get political, but we see that it's part of every, you know, the two presidential candidates. It's part of their conversation, one probably more than the other, every single speech that he or she gives. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part of that. So, yes, it does have an impact, and it, it will determine where we go as a nation. You know, are we, um, I think somebody, one of the candidates might have the, the, the term stronger together, <laughs> or are we, are we great alone, right? right. Um, and so you really have to look at that and determine, you know, which one really starts to resonate with you more. You know, from my standpoint, it's the inclusion, right? We're stronger together. We're stronger when we're inclusive and we embrace our differences. The U.S. is a leader because we have a, such an amazing modern diversity in our country, and we leverage that. We leverage that in innovation. We leverage that for productivity. We leverage that in so many ways that makes us a leader in, in the world. And, and almost every statistic that you're looking at. Okay. Well, and amazing, before we leave, um, how can people find out more about you and your book, please? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, you can find on Amazon, the Inclusion Dividends on there. You can also go to our website, which is thedagobagroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-A-G-O-B-A group.com. Um, if they would like to send me an email, we have an email on the site, which is info at thedagobagroup.com as well. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Mason. You. Hey, thank you all for tuning us in and turning us on. Stay tuned another hour on Transformation Talk Radio. You've been listening to Dynamics of Diversity Radio. 
scripting the new narrative for immigration with leading experts Kripa Upadhyay and Steve Tanija on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Tune in next time for a new perspective on the dynamics of immigration and diversity, ever reminding us that together we are all at the core of innovation, excellence, and positive change. Please visit OrbitLawPLLC.com. That's OrbitLawPLLC.com to find out more about how Kriba and Steve are scripting the new narrative for immigration worldwide. <laughs>